Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empowering a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. To kick off our podcast, our first series is In Awe of Resilience, and I am honored to feature Jessica Johnson for our first Amplified Story. Currently, Jessica is an elementary principal in Dodgeland, Wisconsin, a consultant and speaker on the side, celebrated author of several books, including ASCD's The Coach Approach to School Leadership and Balance Like a Pirate, Going Beyond Work-Life Balance to Ignite Passion and Thrive as an Educator, where I am a co-author. She is a loving mother of two school-aged boys. Jessica earned her bachelor's degree in education from Bemidji State University in Minnesota and her master's degree from Arizona State University. She serves as an adjunct professor for educational leadership at Viterbo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin. In our episode, Jessica bravely shares her story of resilience, acknowledging how the support from teachers and her own tenacity brought her from being a child who was in and out of several homes and schools by the time she was in fifth grade to a well-known authority on leadership in the educational field. Her story provides inspiration and direct for us all to consider how we too can rise out of any circumstance and into our calling. Jessica, I am so excited to have you as the first guest on the In Awe podcast. I can't really think of anybody else that would best exemplify what it is that the mission of In Awe is to be. So without further ado, let the listeners know a little bit about you. What is your current context? Oh, well, first of all, my current context is I'm so honored to be here in the same space with you. And just, you're so sweet and kind. Um, so my context, you mean like, what do I do? Yes. Who am I? So I am in my 11th year as an elementary school principal and district assessment coordinator in a rural school district in Wisconsin. I have two boys who also go to my school. Um, we're a 4K through 12th grade building. So my oldest is in the middle school, but um, I get to see those kids when they get older still. So that is just great. Um, my husband and I both coach different things in our district. So we're very, very involved in our school community. I've been fortunate enough to get to know the principal Jay and the personal side of principal Jay, maybe more than other people have the benefit when we are on social media and everything, we don't always share the entire story. And the reason that I wanted Jessica to start us out is that you have a, an interesting backstory that when you talk about being highly involved in the school and having kids in the elementary school, one of the things I know about you is that you are highly invested and you talk a lot about wanting to give to your kids and all kids. And what I was wondering is if you would be able to share kind of what has driven your passion and what has turned your eye toward education to serve that way. Okay. So we're going to jump right into the story. We are. Okay. So, well, I will just start out by saying that I have, um, uh, an uncle who let me know when I was younger that I was a white sheep in a black sheep family. Um, that's, <laughs> that's just the description. Um, no. So I grew up, um, with a single mom, um, for a while, um, the theme of my life growing up was my mom choosing men who were, um, heavily involved in drugs and alcohol and abuse. Um, so going from my dad to boyfriends to then a stepdad, um, that was the common theme. Um, I mean, I, I won't get into all the details, but some of the details I will share are that, um, I went to 14 different elementary schools 
Because 14. we, yes, because we move that much. And whenever I people say, oh, were you in the military? No, no. We were usually getting evicted because the money was used for drugs, um, not for paying the rent. Um, so, you know, I saw a lot in just, you know, elementary years and 14 schools. I mean, um, there are so many things that I did not learn, I think, in school because I was constantly switching from one school to the next. It was kind of about um, survival. Um, and for whatever reason, I knew that my family was different and it wasn't what I wanted. And I, um, one of my skills was watching other people to see like, oh, that's how people do things. Like that's more normal. I want to be more like that. Um, an example of that is when I was in fourth grade, I walked down to the church that was down the street from us um, and told them that I wanted to get baptized and go to their classes. And like, I took that upon myself and I have no idea why, like that just um, is something that I did um, because I didn't want the life that I was growing up with, with my, my mom and the drama. Um, so you said that was in fourth grade and yeah. by the time you were in fourth grade, have you sat down and actually kept track of how many schools you would have been to by then? You said 14 in elementary school. It was 14 through my fifth grade year. Um, and at the end of my fifth grade year, we moved closer to my grandparents. And once we moved there, and I didn't know this at the time, but my grandparents bought the house that we then lived in. And that was, my mom was trying to get away from her, my stepdad. Um, and so they bought that house for us to move into. And then it, we stayed in that same house, um, through middle school and until I moved out when I was 16. Um, so that was stable and I was in the same, you know, district. Um, when I was eight, my mom had another, I had my first sister and then two more came after that. So I have three younger siblings who have a different dad than I do. Um, but I was typically their babysitter, their everything. I was, I mean, at the age of eight, I was watching a one-year-old, which I think back to that and think of how protective I am of my own children. I think that was insane, but that was, um, that was what we lived with. So you had basically, by the time you hit those middle school years, kind of a stabilizing factor, you know, with your grandparents there mm -hmm. and then added in some, some siblings. But what I noticed and, and what has always struck me is that you said when you moved out when you were 16, mm -hmm. so do you want to unpack that for the listeners a little bit? Yeah. So, um, I, um, oh gosh, I don't, <laughs> it's like a therapy session. Well, so let me step yeah. back a second because we don't want to take your story to a space where you're not comfortable. Yeah. But one thing is I was listening and thinking, okay, you're an elementary school principal. You know, the implications of children who move multiple times mm -hmm. and without that stability at those elementary levels. And yet, because this is a, um, segment on resilience. Mm -hmm. What I'm wondering about is that ability to kind of catch up academically and maybe some of the impacts that the staff that worked with you, or if you could identify anything that you could say helped you become as resilient as yeah, you. Yeah. I, so I don't know how I caught up academically. That, that baffles me to be quite honest. Um, I remember teachers who cared about me Mm -hmm. And I remember them taking me other, under their wing, giving me clothes, you know, making sure I had food. Um, I had one fifth grade teacher that like she brought a bunch of kids out bowling one night and like just those little things. I remember them caring about me. I remember in middle school and high school, um, I was in every 
sport or activity. I could be in band, choir, drama, baton twirling, dance track. I mean, anything that I could be out of the house. And I look back on it and I realized that there were teachers paying for me to do those things because I certainly wasn't paying for them. Um, and, uh, like I remember my dance coach when I was saying, I don't have the money for, you know, these new Capizio shoes. And she said, you know, don't worry about it. Just come and help with this. And I, I know that there were teachers who were taking care of those things. And that was my, I was in everything to stay out of my house. Sure. Mm -hmm. So instead of kind of going to the fact that you moved out when you're 16, what's noteworthy is that you did not drop out. No, no. Yeah. I, so we, um, there was, um, a time where we were in a battered women's shelter and my mom decided to go back and I said, I'm not doing that. Um, she chose him over, you know, kids. Um, and I had a restraining order against my stepdad at the time. And, um, it, it got complicated where I ran away. Mm-hmm. I was arrested for being a runaway. <laughs> Can you believe it? I know, breaking the rules. <laughs> um, but, um, so I ended up at a shelter for, um, either, you know, kids who had run away or they were court sanctioned to be in this place. Mm-hmm. But that was, I knew that that would be my way to get out of the the place where I was. And I, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and it was, it, <laughs> I was a good kid in school. I mean, for the most part, I mean, I was a little bit of an obnoxious teenager. Um, it was, it was so awkward to be in a place where there were, there were kids who caused a lot of trouble and were court ordered in this place. But I just, you know, kept my head on what I needed to. I was working at the time at McDonald's. I, you know, I was saving up all my money to get the heck out. Um, I took college classes as soon as I knew that was an option when I was in high school so that I could get as many credits done as I could. Um, I, wanted to go into education and I started volunteering at a school, you know, I was getting as much experience as I could. And I just kept my head far ahead of where I was knowing that I would get out of that chaos at some point. Mm. So that just is, um, it, it's mind blowing when I consider your story, Jessica, and it's really inspirational mm-hmm. because okay. I think in the, scheme of things as educators, we always talk about, you know, having culturally relevant practices. Mm -hmm. And now there's this really important and essential push for Mm trauma-informed practices. And Mm -hmm. I know uh, that you and your school district Mm -hmm. are spending a lot of time Mm -hmm. investing in that. But when I look back at, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, whenever that was, that you were attending school, you're stating that there's just kind of like the slew of people who just lent their hearts and Mm -hmm. cared, you Mm -hmm. know, for you to help you with that resilience. Mm -hmm. But there's also this level of tenacity inside of you. It sounds like. Yeah. And as I look back, I always try to figure out like, what was it? And I really can't put my finger on it. Um, because not all of my siblings went the same path that I did. And I have, I, I've always had, you know, some guilt and regrets on, I mean, really I had to leave them behind in order to move forward. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the things I learned in like Ruby Payne's, um, I can't remember how she titles it, but poverty. Um, and one of the ways out of poverty is, is having to leave your family, which, um, is a hard concept to think about, but, um, I had to do that and sever ties with my mom 
-hmm. You know, each time that I tried to build a relationship again, um, it was very dysfunctional and I just couldn't, couldn't have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you are working in the capacity that you're working in, what is it that you use from your history? Um, so, I mean, first of all, caring about kids and knowing that when they're acting out in school, it's usually not about school. It's about something else. And I, um, I have worked with a couple of families very closely being my 11th year. I mean, I know our family so well. Um, I have, I have openly shared with some of the, the moms of kids who, you know, they're going through the same thing. And I have, you know, I've told the moms my own story and said, you know, um, the, I just share with them, this is my story and I want to help you. Um, I want to help you get what you need for your family. I want to help your kids. Um, and I want you to help do what, what you need to for your kids. And, and I do share, like I, my mom chose him over me and that was it. <laughs> it's so brave of you. You know, it's, it's really brave. And I just want to take a moment to thank you for mm-hmm. sharing the story with our listeners, mm-hmm. because this is not easy, but it is so clear how mm-hmm. your story has been used to um, impact hundreds, if not thousands. Mm-hmm. And now, and that is again, the purpose of amplifying your story, Jessica, you are it, just an inspiration and an incredible person. And to just be willing, like Brene, you know, Brown says to show up and Mm -hmm. share and rumble through all of that is intensely beautiful. I mean, I have to say, I haven't shared a lot. I mean, with not very many, (laughs) if if any of my teachers were to listen to this, they probably wouldn't know. But, um, and because I, I got through what I got through looking at what do, you know, quote unquote, normal families, normal people do. Um, and I constantly people watch and I would try to be more like them and less like the chaos that I was in. But because of that, I never shared my story with people. Um, and even, you know, as a principal, I never shared with teachers. This is why I'm so passionate about kids. And it was reading, um, lead like a pirate when, um, Beth Hoff, you know, she shares her story and that, that gave me, um, the courage to start sharing. Um, I even, uh, told my story, you know, not very detailed at all, but with our fourth and fifth graders last year, um, you know, to encourage them to have grit and, um, to persevere. Um, and then, I mean, Brene Brown, it's helping me even more to share my story because it, um, I think it helps other people. Well, it, it does, you know, and I can share that it's helped me personally, Um, over the years, just listening to you and knowing that you are a person who has all this, but doesn't lean on it. Mm -hmm. And there's one thing between sharing your story, becoming um, in love with your story and not being able to move on, but you clearly are starting to use it. And Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of that. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm just in awe of the ability to watch that unfold in the last couple of years where you're willing to drop this a little bit more. You're willing to get bold and share with your fourth and fifth graders. What was that like? Um, I was so nervous. I had eyebrows twitching (laughs) (laughs) and I shared it in a way at first where I said, you know, we're going to have a speaker and let me tell you about this speaker. Um, And there was one student that she knew my story and I could just watched her face as she knew, she knew it was coming, that it was going to be me. Um, and 
had a lot of interesting connections with students afterwards of some things that they came forward to share. And I knew that that was one of the risks I was going to take in sharing that, like, yeah, it meant there were some CPS reports coming, unfortunately, but I mean, it gave, it gave kids, you know, it helped them bring down the, I don't know, the armor of, of what they're dealing with. Well, and it's not little because mm-hmm. as I listen to you and you're talking about kind of looking around and, you know, when we grow up in environments, it's kind of what we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you being the adult in their life willing to say, we're just going to name this and we're going to put it out there and we're going to support you. And I mm-hmm. know that you're doing the work to support. Mm-hmm. I know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share just a little bit about your district and the focus that you have where you're at in that trauma-informed journey? So, um, so a little bit about our district. We are a very rural district that covers 105 square miles. So we have kids who can ride on the bus for like 45 minutes. Um, we definitely have a rural poverty issue. We, um, for some of our families, they don't work because there is nowhere for them to go and work if they are just in their town. Um, we really are only beginning our trauma journey. Um, I actually, I feel like we're pretty behind on it to, you know, to be truthful. We are reading um, the book Building Resilient Learners by Pete Hall and Kristen Summerall. Um, I probably said her name wrong. Well, um, I love how you sang it. Yeah, I know. Should I sing it? <laughs> ah! um, there's a team of us that we put together um, that are attending a three-day uh, training with them. Uh, we went to our first day and it was just incredible. Um, we already have started sharing some of the research with our staff. Um, and I think one of the really big pieces that is good for kids who do go through trauma is sharing how that affects their brain. Um, because it helps, you know, when you go through trauma, your, I think it's your cortisol or, you know, one of those things inside your body that just gets you going. And, um, it really, it changes your brain. It, and it changes, it affects your body too. And so when you share the science behind that with kids to let them know, um, this is what's happening and let's have, help you get some strategies. Um, and to put it in kid friendly terms as we use the flipping your lid in your brain, like your upstairs brain and your downstairs brain. And it, it really puts it in easy to understand language for kids to help them realize when they're, um, they're going into their downstairs brain and, they're not going to think as clearly. And that's, you know, when you see kids having meltdowns, when you see kids throwing things or swearing in the classroom, um, helping kids learn that that's what's going on in their brain and helping them gain strategies to get back into control and back in their upstairs brain. You know, so as I listen to all of that and it resonates deeply with me because as listeners may or may not know, I have also been a principal and have um, had the joy of working with students in those conditions that you're describing. And we know that the schools need supports. And I'm, you say that you're behind, but I might argue that you might be right where it needs to be. And just sharing that with listeners, I think is important, Mm -hmm. but also just thinking too, and tying it back a little bit to your own story is that you mentioned you didn't display those behaviors, but you also had siblings. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's just really kind of important to take a step back and acknowledge that not every child who is raised in a home with unsteady circumstances is going to behave and need to flip that lid. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to exhibit different um, Mm -hmm. tells, if you will, Mm -hmm. in other ways. So it's just really kind of fascinating again, and a shout out to educators who are working with such dynamic uh, Mm -hmm. dynamics at Mm -hmm. play. And so I just 
I couldn't help but think about that and think, yeah, no, definitely. You know, um, so when I think about another example that I know about your life, cause I'm, I have the benefit of, of knowing some of these things. One of the things that you did with your school that I was really impressed with as an elementary principal was an emphasis on like college day. Would you share a little bit about yeah. that? So being a 4k through 12th grade building, like we have separate wings for each building level, but we're really all in one building. And so I, I, I know a lot of what's going on at middle school and high school and I don't know if it's probably been six or seven years, but I heard that the only high school kids who are going on college tours were the kids who already decided they're going to college. And that broke my heart to hear. And I wanted to change that because I wanted to open all of our kids' worlds to know what's out there. And so we started college visits in fifth grade. Um, we have, um, a technical college that comes in to present to them. And then we also take them to UW Madison and they go on a college tour. They get the whole tour, just like you're going to college. They eat lunch there. They get to see what it's like to eat in the dorms. You know, they learn about different programs and things. Um, and we've been doing that for a really long time. And it, um, I feel like it has made a difference in our kids to know what is out there. Um, you know, every year we have kids who are like, I don't want to go on that field trip. And their eyes are opened at what, is outside. I mean, I live in Dodge County and you've heard me say, you know, get out of Dodge. Um, some of our kids don't know what's out of Dodge. And so I think that that has been huge for our kids. Well, and again, an impact that you may not know or see, Mm -hmm. you know, as you do these things that provide opportunities Mm -hmm. for families. And I would say families, because frankly, some families don't have the means or the Mm -hmm. interest or the need or the desire or the belief that Mm -hmm. their kids might choose a UW Madison by the Mm -hmm. time they're in high school. So just even planting that seed that early provides, I would assume, students like you, uh, that had a trajectory of where they wanted something, but if they didn't ever have that exposure or the desire to dream it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it would be less likely. And for many of our kids, we are the only ones who are going to share with them that college is a possibility. Sure. So since we're on that track and this is the in awe podcast and amplifying your story, Miss Jessica Johnson, how is it that you ended up going from moving out at 16 to not only going for an undergrad masters to, for the listeners, you actually teach classes at the college level to principals. How did you get on that track? Um, I just, I, I always love helping people. Um, I, I never had any intentions of becoming a principal. Seriously. I never had intentions of becoming a principal. I got my master's in administrative leadership. I'm going to be honest, just because I wanted to move up the pay scale and all of my friends were doing this program. Isn't that funny? Well, it led you there. It, yeah. Calling truly. Yes, it really did. And I, um, I think that getting to teach at college, I started presenting at conferences and I love the feeling of helping others, um, and connecting with others. And, I honestly, when I teach college classes, it's, you know, teachers who are interested in leadership. I get to hear about so many different districts and I build relationships with those staff as well. Um, And I feel like I learn just as much as they do in the classes. Well, one of your superpowers is connecting people. That is very clear. And you have a well-established pattern of that and a nice little history. So thank you for that. Yes. You know, we started talking about what got you into education 
I think you told me at one point that you wanted to be a music educator. Uh-huh. I was going to be, well, first I was going to be a professional flautist. So why aren't <laughs> we singing and playing? Right I know, we right? this microphone in front of yeah. us. Yeah. So I did. I, my original, like when I was in high school, I learned how to play almost every musical instrument because I wanted to be a band director. I was the drum major of the marching band. <laughs> my, my roots go deep. In You can twirl a baton that's on fire, right? Yes, I can. <laughs> I can. And I can tell you how to not lose your eyebrows. Um... <laughs> But so my, one of my sisters, she was dyslexic um, and she, you know, obviously struggled academically. And, um, you know, at the time, the way education was, she was just sent to the special ed room and she didn't feel like she was a part of school. She didn't feel connected. Um, And she eventually turned in, I would say she turned into an EBD student because of how she felt um, and along with the trauma going on at home. Um, and it was painful for me to see that. And I decided to change um, my direction of where I wanted to go because I wanted to be the classroom teacher that supported all students in my room and didn't send kids down to a different room to get what they needed. That is very self-reflective and wise, truly. And so what was your classroom experience? So, well, I did start out as a special education teacher to get that experience. And then, yeah, I, then when I was a classroom teacher, I kept all, you know, when, when a student had an IEP and they were supposed to be out of the classroom, I fought to keep them in the room. Um, I feel like, you know, I, I can't ever think of like calling the principal for an issue with a student. Like I just dealt with it. I built relationships with kids and just Mm -hmm. handled it as much as I could in the classroom to help them. What an impact again that that had. I guess I'm sitting here just in a, in awe of that mindful, Aww. mindful, driven mindset. Okay. So Jessica Johnson, I would like to know what is one thing that you are really proud of? I don't, well, I don't, you know me, I don't take time to celebrate like things about myself. So let me um, jump in on that. That is a classic characteristic of very many uh, women that I know that should have a lot to be proud of, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked it. I wasn't trying to throw you off. Okay. But I do want, but to, do hear you want me to answer. Yes. It? Um, well, you know, I'm, I, my first gut instinct is to say a lot, you know, things at my school that I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that's probably not what you're going for. I'm going for whatever's <laughs> in your heart. Um, you know, it's, I, I do. I mean, that's my first instinct is to think of the things that I'm proud of that are in place in my, in my school. And it's, um, you know, not necessarily like I started this, but leading staff to get involved and, um, seeing how staff support students has changed so differently over the time that I've been there. Um, and I mean, our, our teachers do a lot of things for kids. You know, they're not just teaching them reading, writing, math. They're they're really supporting kids in a lot of different ways. Well, that's wonderful. And I'm proud of you for being able to articulate what it is you're proud of. Truly. Thank you. If you could write a letter to your former self, you know, at any stage, what would you say? So I think I wrote that in balance like a pirate. Yes. <laughs> you know, I so many years of sacrificing my own personal health, my family, um, and everything for 
devoting all the time to my passions at work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I am passionate about work and I'm not going to like stop doing those things, but I sacrificed my own family and health for so long um, before I figured out there could be something different and not, not burn out that way. Yeah. And again, just another joy to be able to watch that unfold and that you continue to work on that because Mm -hmm. again, talking about resilience Mm -hmm. and this idea that, you know, I asked that question because hopefully we'll have something to say at every stage, you know, as a new, Mm -hmm. um, college student for you as Mm -hmm. a new mom, Mm -hmm. as a new principal, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, as a new author. And eventually you'll be able to write a letter to yourself, um, you know, now Mm -hmm. and what would that look like? And it's just this idea that we can continuously grow in this concept Mm -hmm. of resilience because it's so important that Mm -hmm. we give ourselves permission to be better. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, when I first heard that question, I thought, like, is this something you regret? Like, don't do that. But I, you know, even the things I grew up with in my life, I don't wish that my life was different because it made me who I am. What a beautiful reframe. Mm-hmm. Turns out you can do that. I know I learned reframing from you. You're the best at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so um, when, when we look at Brene Brown, and I had mentioned this before, owning our stories means acknowledging our feelings and wrestling with those hard emotions the fear, the anger, the aggression, the shame, the blame, it's really not easy. But when we look at the alternative, denying our stories and disengaging from emotion means choosing to live our entire lives in the dark. And this is with her analogy when she has Luke in the cave, um, when he goes in to face his fears. And I think she has it rising strong and dare to lead. And I just want um, the listeners to, to hear stories And to hear the bravery that Jessica has demonstrated today in sharing this story, it is not little. It is large. And I am honored that you would you would share these pieces with our listeners because they need to hear this. So a couple of kind of rapid fire questions to end. I want to know about a cause that you support and why and how can we learn more? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm. I would say that in awe <laughs> for women to rise. Um, no, a cause. I mean, there's so many causes out there that are good. I think right now I'm most passionate about um, STEM yeah. and uh, I'm a robotics coach. You want to geek out a second. I am geeking out. Yeah. So I started a robotics team for our fifth through seventh graders because I wanted my kid to get to have something like that. Um but actually I'm really passionate about exposing children at a young age to STEM because, you know, typically, you know, once we decide we're not good at math and we think, you know, we're not going into engineering or whatever. Um, and we, if I would have had this kind of stuff when I was a kid, I probably wouldn't have chosen the path I did, which then, you know, I'm glad I chose the path that I did, but, um, getting kids interested in engineering and programming at a young age is so much fun right now. And yes, my robotics team took fourth out of 40 in their robot challenge this weekend. And I'm so jacked up. Hey, that's they were top so 10%. amazing. I mean, I, I know good at math, but I think I got that. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. They're amazing. <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah. Oh, okay. So can you point us to another person on social media with whom we should connect? Oh my gosh. There's so many people. Um, well, in terms of resilience, I would say Mandy Frelick who, um, she put together the book, the fire within, um, Kay Henriksen, we just ran into tonight and she talks, she wrote a book about her battle, um, of battling cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
I could go on and on. There are so, so many awesome people that I am so excited to be connected with. And these are remarkable women mm-hmm. who have really taken their stories to own them and kind of put them out there publicly yes. already. Yes. Which is brave. Yes. Okay. So this one's going to be really hard because though Principal J says that she didn't have the greatest vocabulary growing up and reading and all that, she is a voracious reader, ladies and gentlemen. So I I'm going to ask you, can you recommend a book, one that you've been reading lately or an all-time favorite? Yeah. Well, you know, I read a ton of books. And so like picking my favorite book is like picking my favorite child. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I would have to say, I mean, right now we're reading um, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead and it, I'm not even very far in it because I have to stop and digest it and process. And it's like therapy reading that book, by the way, it is so good. So good. She gives us this groundbreaking opportunity and permission to say that it's okay to own our stories, Mm -hmm. to not be perfect in her terms, to embrace the suck. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, I really think she is revolutionizing the way we talk about um, interactions and failures Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's incredible. So Mm -hmm. thank you for recommending that one. Okay. So um, I don't even have to ask if you're a podcast listener, (laughs) but um, for those that want to kind of engage further, do you have any recommendations for a podcast? Oh my gosh. I am a podcast junkie. Mm -hmm. So I would say um, I love for the love with Jen Hatmaker. Um, you also got me hooked on Rachel Hollis's Rise podcast. Um, I think I'm going to stop there because otherwise I would go down a rabbit hole of a million podcasts that I love. Well, that's wonderful. And that's good company. Um, absolutely. Those two you can't go wrong with if you're not listening to those already. So before we close out, I, I'm going to ask this deep question. What is uh, one lesson of being an influential woman that might inspire others to keep going if they find themselves either in that pit of uncertainty or fear, and they need to hear your voice right now, what would you say? I think I'm going to quote Sarah Johnson right now and say to know your worth. (laughs) I think you've said that to me so many times. I know. I think it is to, you know, not play things small to know your worth, know your value. Um, yeah, I don't know how to go any deeper with that. You don't need My to because that is exactly, you don't have a lack of <laughs> That is exactly, um, it's beautiful. And you are so worthy. Your story is worthy. And I'm, again, so thankful that you shared it with our listeners. So for those who have, for some reason, not already engaging with you, can you tell where to find you on Twitter? So Twitter, I am at Principal J. I also have a website, principalj.net. And I'm on Voxer, Principal J as well. Wonderful. Okay. Well, that is the end of our inaugural episode of In Awe podcast, specifically on resilience. Hope you have heard some inspiration from Principal J and thank you. Do I get to thank you? I didn't know if you're going to close it. I thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on your first podcast. I'm so excited for you and I cannot wait to hear all of the episodes that are to come with this. You're going to impact so many people. I'm in awe of your in honest. (laughs) We'll do it together. All right. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the In Awe podcast. We rise by lifting others. So please consider amplifying this story by subscribing to the In Awe podcast and by rating and sharing this episode so masses can be in awe of our guest.